Let us pray. Teach us to love, O Lord. May we always remember to put you first as we follow Christ's footsteps, that we may know your love and show it in our lives. As we prepare for, this, for our celebration of Jesus' birth, also fill our hearts with love for the world, that all may know your love and the one whom you have sent, your Son, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you. Yeah. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you this morning to open them to Luke chapter 2. And, you know, it's very fitting that today we had a child dedication ceremony. Because in our text today, we're actually going to look at the baby dedication of Jesus. And, you know, at Christmas, we spend a lot of time thinking about baby Jesus. We, you know, we sing songs about baby Jesus. My kids play with baby Jesus toys, you know, the, the little Advent nativity sets. We read storybooks about baby Jesus. But I think sometimes in our attention that we give to baby Jesus, we kind of sanitize Jesus a little bit and we make him cute and cuddly and we lose sight of who he really was. And we lose sight of the, of the man he would become. See, we often, right now, there's a lot of hype around Baby Yoda, you know, in uh, Disney Plus, all of this. And he's cute. He gives us these warm feelings of happiness. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing with Jesus. We just look at him like he's Baby Yoda, and he's just something cute that we celebrate this time of year. But the truth is, Jesus was born for a very specific purpose. He was born not just to give us a season where we get gifts and lights and Christmas trees. He was born for the purpose to grow as a man, to live the life we could never live and die in our place. He was born so that he could die. And we, we cannot forget this morning that the sweet little baby Jesus, the Christmas child, would one day be crucified on a bloody cross for the sins of the world. And this morning, in Luke chapter 2, at Jesus' dedication in the temple, we get a picture not only of what a beautiful and spectacular child Jesus was, but we get a reminder of the man he would grow up to become. And we see the price he would pay to deliver his people. And so I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. It says, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem, they being Mary and Joseph, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So what's going on here is this is about 40 days, this is 40 days after Jesus's birth and according to the law and the ritual ceremonies of the Jewish people, this was when a child was to be brought to Jerusalem and to be presented and to be dedicated to the Lord. And it says that Mary and Joseph, they bring a sacrifice with them when they bring Jesus, which was a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And what that tells us is that Mary and Joseph were poor. Because in Leviticus, in the book of Leviticus in chapter 12, when the law is laid out, Parents were commanded when their child was born to bring to their dedication a lamb and a turtle dove for the offering and the sacrifice. But lambs were expensive. 
And so in the law, Leviticus 12.8 understood that there would be some people that would not be able to afford a lamb, so they made a provision. And it says, if a family cannot afford a lamb, they can bring two turtle doves or even two pigeons instead. And my niece was in New York last week. They were visiting New York, and she lives in Mississippi. And she was walking down 4th Avenue, and she said, Uncle Will, there's a pigeon. I've never seen a pigeon before. And I was like, well, Lottie... Get ready. You're about to see a lot of pigeons this week because pigeons are everywhere. They're common. They're like, if you wanted a pet pigeon, it would cost you nothing yet probably cost you everything in doctor's visits and, you know, diseases they carry. But pigeons are everywhere. Like we, as a New Yorkers, as New Yorkers, we know this pigeons are the most common thing in the world. We wish they weren't so common, but they're common. And what the, I mean, for Mary and Joseph, this meant like, this was just something that they could afford this. And they bring, this tells us that they're very poor. And Mary, Mary and Joseph were humble people. They could not afford a lamb, so they brought pigeons. A seemingly common and insignificant offering. But that's what they brought into the temple. And I'll come back to the sacrifice a little bit later. But I want to make this point very quickly. And that is that do not miss the fact that God uses humble people to accomplish His great purposes. Mary and Joseph were just... Regular people of regular status, but God used them. And you may be here this morning and you feel unimpressive or unintelligent or unprepared or unqualified. You may feel like you don't have much to offer. I can't bring a lamb. All I've got is pigeons, metaphorically speaking. But what you need to know this morning is that God has a place for you and a plan for you in His story. In the Christmas story, you have Mary and Joseph, Elizabeth and Zechariah, shepherds, humble people used by God in powerful ways to prepare the way for Jesus. But there's also another person in the Christmas story, one that we often overlook, and his name is Simeon. And I want us to look at him this morning. Verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now, we, know, we don't know a lot about Simeon from the text. But we know a few things that are very significant. We know that he was devout which means that he had a deep relationship with God. And we know that he walked by the Spirit because it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. We know that he was righteous, which means he did what was right. He was respected by others and he respected others. He was a good man. But it says also that there's like one thing in Simeon's life that was like the most important thing for him. And he gave his whole life to looking and anticipating for this one thing and it is, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And what that means is, he was waiting for the promised Messiah for the people of Israel. See, all throughout the Old Testament, from Genesis to the prophets, the Bible speaks of a Savior that would come through the line of David and who would redeem and deliver the people of Israel. And that is what Simeon wanted to see more than anything in the world. It says he's just waiting, just filled with the Spirit, waiting for the consolation 
of Israel. And that word consolation is the same word used for comforter, which is the same word used for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. The same word the New Testament uses for Holy Spirit. So this tells us what he expected the Messiah to be. He expected the Messiah to be a comforter, someone who would set things right in the world and give power to the people of God. This is what he wanted. This is what he anticipated. And he waited with faith. Simeon was a man of faith. And he waited patiently and eagerly for this promise of the Messiah. And the truth is, that probably set him apart from most of the people in Israel at that time. Because at this moment in history where all this happens, the religious enthusiasm was probably at an all-time low for the people of Israel. For three reasons, at least. One, they were discouraged. The people of Israel were discouraged. They were living as an oppressed minority group under the Roman Empire. They were viewed as second class. They were misunderstood. They were misrepresented. And they were often mistreated. Herod was in power. We know a little bit about Herod at Christmas time. And he was an evil man. And so the people of Israel, they're like, we're the people of God. But yet here we are, we're suffering. And so they were tempted to doubt God's favor on their lives. Because the world around them was mistreating them. But secondly, the faith of Israel at this time, and you see this all throughout the Gospels of Jesus' life, the faith of Israel was corrupted by a religious ruling class of legalistic Pharisees on one side and worldly Sadducees on the other. And so the people of Israel, their religious community had lost any credibility. They were either, it was either legalism on one side where they were mistreated and they were treated condescendingly by their uh, leaders, or on the other side, you just had leaders that were just like the world and had no credibility and had no power and authority in the world. So their religious enthusiasm was just, it was declining. And on top of all that, we mentioned this last week, but God hasn't spoken to them through a prophet in 400 years, like nothing. And many of people in Israel probably felt abandoned. I hear you know, people in our church all the time, they'll come to me and they'll say, I feel like I can't hear God. I feel like He's been silent for this long season of my life. God had been silent in their minds for 400 years. And during that silence, they were mistreated. Their religious leaders were corrupt. And I imagine that many of the people in Israel were losing heart. They were giving up on God's promises, but not Simeon. Simeon trusted in the promise of God's word that a Messiah would come and he waited hopefully and with anticipation. And because he waited with faith and with anticipation, his eyes were able to see the king when the king came. When the Messiah showed up in the temple that day, Simeon was watching and he was waiting and he saw what no one else was able to see. And he took that child up into his arms. And he blessed God for that child. And the rest of Israel was living in disappointment. And they stopped anticipating. They stopped looking for their Messiah. They stopped believing that God would deliver on His promises. And they turned inward. And they weren't able to see what God was doing right in front of them. And they missed the Savior when the Savior was right in front of them. But not Simeon. So when I was in college, I competed at a track meet in Tallahassee, Florida at Florida State University, 2005 Seminole Invitational. I remember this. And that day I raced the 3,000 meters. And I, I remember, I don't remember all the details, but I remember I wasn't pleased with my race. 
And like a 19-year-old kid, I sulked and, you know, got, felt sorry for myself after my race because I didn't finish as high as I wanted. I didn't perform up to my expectations. And I was disappointed. I was disappointed with my life in that moment because I had not run as fast as I had hoped. But I, I remember as soon as my race was over, I moped and I grabbed all my things and I stormed off the track and I went for a jog around Florida State's campus all by myself. And I was feeling sorry for myself, moping around. Po poor pitiful me because I didn't run fast. But when I got back to the track after about an hour of jogging around campus, I got back and I noticed that something had changed at the track. There was an energy. And there was like people were buzzing and people were cheering. And there was an energy in that stadium that wasn't there before. And I, I went up to my teammates. I said, hey, what's going on? And they said, oh, Will, you missed it. You missed it. And I was like, well, what did I miss? They said, the 200-meter dash, you missed it. I was like, okay, well, what happened? And you understand, the best sprinters in the NCAA were there that day. And not only the best sprinters in the NCAA, but some of the best professional sprinters in the world were there that day. And I was like, okay, well, what happened? They said, no, no, no. What you need to understand is that it wasn't a college student and it wasn't a professional that won the race today. I said, well, who won it? Tell me. Why is everybody so excited? And they told me about this tall, lanky teenager, high school kid, with a name that they weren't quite sure how to pronounce, who won the 200 meters by nearly half a second. And if you know anything about sprinting, half a second in a 200 meter dash is an eternity. And the crowd, they said the crowd just went wild and they were all over, all over this kid and realizing that they had seen something very, very special. And one of my teammates, I remember him saying to me, he said, I don't know who that kid is, but he has the potential to break world records one day. And that tall, lanky teenager's name was Usain Bolt. He was 17 years old. Here's the point. I shared the same track <laughs> as the greatest sprinter of all time. Like the advent of his career happened right there in front of me. And I missed it because I was too consumed with my own disappointment. I was moping around and I was fixated on my own unmet expectations that I missed something spectacular that happened right in front of me. And here's the thing. I know that some of you in this room are disappointed with your life right now. And you're losing hope. And you're doubting the promises of God. And you're tempted to turn inward in your disappointment. But the promise of the Scriptures and the example of Simeon shows us that if you seek Christ, you'll find Him. See, all of Israel was disappointed and they were losing hope and they were growing cynical, but not Simeon. And in the midst of his years of waiting and disappointment, he still had his eyes open to see what God was doing in the world. And he was still looking out for the Messiah. And he continued to trust in the promises of the Word of God and continued to walk in the power of the Spirit of God. And when the King, when the Messiah came into the temple that day, he had eyes to see what was going on and what God was doing. And he took Jesus in his arms and he burst into song. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for a revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And I love what Simeon says when he takes Jesus into his arms. He says, I can die now. 
I was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I'm holding him. I can die now. God, I can depart in peace. I can die in peace. And you know, we talk a lot about bucket lists. That's a common thing in our vernacular now ever since that movie. And a bucket list, that's all the things we want to do before we kick the bucket, before we die. And you know, I have a few things on my bucket list. I want to visit Paris. I want to see Eric Clapton live. I want to own a Martin HD 28 guitar. And uh, I've given up on hope of this one, but I would like to see the New York Mets win a World Series, but I don't think it's going to happen. But I also have some serious things on my bucket list, right? I, one, of the, one of the things in my life, I, one of the things that consumes me, I think about this all the time, I want to save up enough money in my life so that my special needs son will be able to receive the care he needs after Rebecca and I die. So there's a serious bucket. That's like a real bucket list desire. And we all have things in our lives that we want to experience or things that we want to take care of in our lives before we feel like we can die in peace. For some of us, that's fun things. We want to see the Grand Canyon. We want to run with the bulls in Pamplona or whatever. But others of us have serious longings that we want to see fulfilled before we die. We want to have a child. We want to get married. Someone told me in our church a few weeks ago, they said, I can't die until I know that my children are safe, mature, and walking with God. They said, I can't, I can't die until I know that. See, we all have things that we believe we need if we are going to be able to die in peace. But the thing that we learn from the life of Simeon is that there's really only one thing we truly need to die with actual peace. And that is to see and to know the person of Jesus. See, Simeon had been waiting his whole life for the Messiah. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And after holding him in his arms, he said, that's it. I've seen the comforter. I can go now. And the wait was over for him. And he said, I can die in peace. Now why? First thing, Simeon could die in peace because he knew that the Savior had come. Because he knew that Jesus was the Savior. He said, Lord, now, this is verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon says, I can die now because my eyes have seen your salvation. This is what he's been longing for his whole life. The salvation of the people of Israel. And if you look at Simeon's song, I think there's two things he recognized in the salvation of Jesus. And when he looked into, the two things he learned about salvation when he looked into the face of Jesus. First, is he learned that the salvation that Jesus brings is bigger and better than anything he had ever imagined. See, early in the narrative, we're told he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. For him, that meant the deliverance of the nation of Israel from the oppression of Rome. And when you read through the scriptures, you see that there was an expectation among the Jewish people that the Messiah would be a political savior. They wanted someone who would come in and would overthrow Rome and would elevate the people of Israel into a position of power in the world, into their suffering, and bring them power. But Simeon sees Jesus and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence for all peoples. It'll be for the Gentiles and for the glory of Israel. And I think God revealed something to Simeon in that moment, and that was that Jesus did not come only for the salvation of the Jews. He did not merely come either to give them political power. He came for the whole world and he came to bring something far greater than political power. 
He came to bring the forgiveness of sins. And that extended to all people, not just Israel, but to the Gentiles as well. And that meant that salvation was far more than merely political, but it was spiritual. God wasn't reconciling Israel back to their place of power. He was reconciling sinners to God. And God in Christ is saving the world from their sins. Jesus came not only to deliver us from bondage, but to forgive our sins. And He came not only to bring peace among nations, but to bring peace in our hearts and peace between God and man. And here's why this is important. Because if you listen to our bucket lists, and if I listened, if you told me what your bucket lists were, the things that we say that we need to experience peace in our lives, they are often so small compared to the blessings that God wants to give us. See, I believe Simeon, in this moment, God gave him a a vision into eternity. And in this moment, I think God gave him the ability to see the bigger picture. And he saw that even though the temporary situation of the people of Israel was that of oppression and marginalization, Simeon became confident and convinced that Jesus was doing something far greater and that he was going to save the world and that there would come a day not only when their oppression would cease, but all oppression would cease. Jew, Gentile, male and female, slave, free, every tribe, tongue, nation, and language would worship around the throne of Jesus and every tear would be wiped from our eyes. And here's the truth. Simeon did not live to see Israel freed from Roman oppression in his earthly life. But in that moment, when he got a bigger glimpse of the salvation that Jesus was bringing, that didn't matter much to him. Because he, he saw his life in the scope of eternity, not just in the little narrow vision of his life that he had in this moment. He saw the scope of eternity and he said, I can die in peace because I know that in the end God will right all wrongs. And there's coming a day where everything will be made right. And there are some of you in this room right now, your prayers right now are for things in your life that you really want. You want good things, you want good desires, and you're asking for God to give you those things. Others of you, you might be asking God to take things away from you. Painful things, hard things. And what I want to encourage you with this morning is that the truth is that God is making all things right in this world. To quote quote J.R. Tolkien, He is making every sad thing come untrue. And I want to encourage you with that, that Jesus is trustworthy and that He brings salvation to His people. And in eternity, in the new heavens and new earth, you will lack nothing. You will have everything because you will be with Jesus. And you say, well, I I need need to experience this before I die. But the scriptures say that in Christ, you will not die. And that there are sufferings in this life that are momentary. And they will, you won't even, that there'll be nothing when compared to the glory that awaits us in the new heavens and new earth and in eternity with Christ. You can endure the pain and the struggles of today because you know that Jesus is building a kingdom that will last forever. And the second thing that Simeon saw is that salvation was a person. He says, he looks into the eyes of a child and says, my eyes have seen salvation. That's the peace we long for, is salvation. And he doesn't look and say, my eyes have seen the teacher who's going to tell me one day the things I must do to find peace with God. This is the teacher who's going to tell me what I have to do to be right with God. He doesn't say that. He doesn't look into Jesus' eyes and say, my eyes have seen the man 
Who has the power to give me all the things that I want that I think will give me peace? See, we don't find peace with God by earning it. And we don't find peace with God through the, thing, through the gifts of God. We find peace with God through His Son, Jesus, alone. And He looks at this child and He says, My eyes have seen salvation. Full stop. Salvation and peace is not found in acting a certain way, following a set of religious rules. Salvation and peace is not found by having all your dreams and desires met that you think you need. It is found in knowing Christ. This week, I went to my daughter's school musical. And you know, it's New York, and you got people of all different religions and people of no religion at all. And so it was like the, they tried to make it the least offensive like Christmas production they could ever do. So there was like no reference to, you know, Christ or Christmas or anything like that. But I started, I was holding back laughter when they, when the kids sang, we are the world. You guys remember this song when they brought all the Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder and, you know, Willie Nelson, everybody together, you know, we are the world. We are the children. No, we don't know. Okay. No, I'm talking. But I was here and I was laughing and it reminded me of this clip that if, I don't know if you've ever seen this, go watch the YouTube video of them recording this in a studio. You've got like all these big celebrities singing, we are the world. And then there's like a shot of Bob Dylan and I love Bob Dylan, but there's a shot of Bob Dylan and he looks so bored and so annoyed to be there. You know, like, you know, Janet Jackson's got a big smile on her face and then like Bob Dylan is so bored and he just looks like he's just going through the motions. And they're singing, there's a choice we're making, we're saving our own lives. There was an interview one time with Bob Dylan, they said, you got to explain, why do you look so just like perturbed in this video? And he was like, well, I just remember as we were singing that thinking, it's just not true. He said, we're doing a terrible job of saving ourselves. Well, I don't believe it. He said, we can't save our own lives and we're doing a terrible job of it. And he said, we need something more. And Dylan was right, because I know that we can't save ourselves. Only Christ can. And how is it that he saves us? See, after Simeon finished singing his song, he turns to Mary and Joseph and he says these words. He says that Jesus' father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, why could Simeon die in peace? Simeon could die in peace because Jesus would die in agony. See, Simeon tells Mary, he says, look, this, this baby won't be a baby forever. He's going to grow up and he's going to become a man. And in his life, he's going to cause you to marvel. He will astonish you with the way he teaches, with the way he heals, with the way he loves people. But as he grows up, his life will also bring great pain into your life. Because you'll have to watch as your son is rejected. You'll have to watch as your son will be falsely accused You'll watch as your son is beaten and mocked, humiliated, nailed to a cross. Thorns will pierce his head. Nails will pierce his hand and feet. And a spear will pierce his side. And he tells Mary, Simeon tells Mary, he says, seeing that will feel like there's a sword being plunged right through your heart. Because we hate to see our children suffer. But he told her, he said, your son is going to suffer. But the pain is for a purpose. 
so that many hearts will be revealed. You know, in the beginning of the message, I, I, I said that Mary and Joseph offered two pigeons as their sacrifice because they couldn't afford a lamb. And I think it's so fitting because you see, the blood of the lamb was considered necessary to atone for the sins of the parents. And this was a ceremony for atonement. The way that the parents would secure peace with God as they went about raising their child and they would thank God and they would, they would place their sins on an innocent lamb and then they would allow that lamb to die in their place. And I think it's this beautiful picture that Mary and Joseph walk in with pigeons. They, walk, they don't have a lamb because they didn't need one. Because Jesus was the ultimate lamb. One of the first things said about Jesus in the scriptures is behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They had a lamb. It was their son. You see, on the cross, and Simeon somehow saw this, Jesus would go on to take your sins and mine onto himself, just like the people used to place their sins on an innocent lamb. And he will endure the just punishment for all the sins of the world, even though he is totally innocent. And he would suffer once and for all for all the sins of the world. Simeon says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many. And what Simeon says is those who believe in him will rise. The promise of the scriptures is that because Jesus died in our place as our lamb substitute, and because he rose from the grave, we can now be raised to new life. But Simeon also says those who reject him will fall. Life is found in Christ alone. Now, how do we experience peace? How do we know we're ready to die like Simeon? It's not by looking at humble Jesus in a cradle. But it's by looking at the victorious Christ on a cross. See, he died in agony so that we could die in peace. He died the death that we deserve to atone for our sins. And what that means is whatever stories you're bringing in here this morning, whatever you did last week or whatever shame you're carrying with you from the past decade, the promise of the Scriptures is that you can place all of those things onto Jesus. And He will suffer the punishment for them. And then He will trade you His righteousness. And you can live forever with Him. Which means you can die in peace. All you need is in Christ. He died in agony so that we could die in peace. The Scriptures say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That's Christmas. God gave His Son. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. But don't forget the second part. Whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. So many people in Israel missed Jesus in the temple that day because they weren't paying attention. But Simeon was, and Simeon experienced life and peace because he experienced Jesus. And my encouragement for you today is to not be like the other people that day who aren't paying attention to what God is saying, but would you be like Simeon and have the eyes to see and the heart to receive what Jesus is saying to you this morning. And that is that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You can be forgiven and you can die with peace knowing that you are right with God because Christ came.